John, it's nice that you've been able to make an appearance in the in the studio this week. I see you. I see you about two hours a week nowadays, <laughs> recording days. I didn't know. I didn't know you missed me so much. Oh, it gets you know, like, like I said, man. It gets quiet around here. Again, you say it's so quiet. I'm I'm quiet when I'm here. I just thought you would. I just thought you would be here more. I've had I've had so many things going on at the house that I I've had to hang out for contractors to show up or people to do something before I can leave. And then by the time it's they've done their thing, I'm like, oh, I might as well just stay home and get some work done. So you are you getting work? Are you able to get work done? Yeah, I worked my butt off last couple of days. So you, okay. I just didn't know if you were how effective you were when you during the summer when your kids are at home. Uh, it's been a challenge. They've had to like like Monday was an all. I just could not find time to leave to make it to the office because I was on so many calls that day. Mm. So at that point, I was just like, "Well, I'm stuck here," and that was difficult because the kids had to kind of be quiet. So is it that you you didn't get out soon enough before your call started? Is that was that? Is that yeah, how it pretty works? much. Yeah, by the time I got done with the gym and everything and got situated, it was like, "Oh, I have a call now," and then it was like, "Oh, I got another call." And just, yeah, I finally, just towards rolling. the afternoon, right after lunch, I, I kicked the family out of the house and made them go watch a movie. Now, John, did you not do your homework from last week and read the maker's schedule versus manager's schedule? No, I did not. You need to. Because you're a maker. A maker? Yeah. And if you're on the phone, you're not making, right? Oh, that's true. But I sometimes you got to be on the call in order to initiate the maker process. That's true. But just based on your your description of how much you're on calls... I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't handle it. What can I say? My awesomeness wins the business, so I have to be present. <laughs> you're, so you're, you've, you're, you're in the sales land now, huh? Yeah, you know, people like, like to know that they're hiring someone competent, I guess. No, I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm usually on for support, you know, answer any technical questions that might come up. And then, then I have like a couple other project calls that happen on that day too. And I just happen to need to be on those calls. I just, I do everything I can to get out of them. Sometimes, obviously, you have to have calls. And and like, you know, if you're on a team uh, that's on a project, you're going to have calls. Although even then, hopefully, they're stand-up type calls that they're quick and really efficient, you know, because people have, and again, we're makers, right? We have stuff to, to make. Yeah. I always, I'm, I'm the guy that always is always like, can you guys take that offline? Because none of, <laughs> that doesn't apply to any of the rest of us. It's just wasting our time. Yeah. I'm sure they're always like, Jeremy, damn him. Doesn't like to be on calls. Doesn't like to go on site. <laughs> He's just such a hermit. I need, a, I need a buzzer. Someone, every time someone goes down a rat hole, I should hook my, this, I should hook the soundboard into the phone when I, <laughs> I call <laughs> Now that would be interesting. No one would work with me anymore, yeah, man. <laughs> that, that, that would be interesting. There've been a few times where I wish I had a soundboard. You almost have plausible deniability because then you could press a button and go, oh, I didn't mean that button. I meant this one. Right. That's true. Oops, sorry about that. <laughs> I did not mean to press the what is your malfunction button. Right. <laughs> A Freudian slip. Yeah. Speaking of slipping, how you doing, Jeremy? You feeling better? I noticed you've been walking better. In fact, we were walking to get some coffee and I go, I, I was sitting going, why do you seem so much taller than me today? I mean, you're, you're definitely taller than me, but you just seem that much more taller today. Yeah, not only am I not walking with a cane, but I'm, I'm actually able to stand up I know, straight. Me, me, Maybe it's because you're all relaxed from uh, your many petty. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you think that's so amusing. I did not know that 
that my uh, above my circle of friends, everyone got Manny Petties except me. Well, you you sent out the tweet. You're, that, you're the, the one who gets the deluxe haircut with you know hand waxing and extended massages <laughs> and rub downs. <laughs> well, it's just it's just a little hand massage, a little arm massage okay. with my hair with my haircut. That's basically what a pedicure is, except they cut your toenails also. Yeah. But I just thought it was weird. It was never. I just had this weird thing about feet and people touching my feet, and I, it's just not something I, th- I think of to do. Did and you Did you watch my live stream? No. Did you live stream? That's like the first time I had, I've ever. I've had Periscope. I put Periscope on my phone the other day, and and I just thought, oh, I'll I'll live stream this for a sided for like twenty seconds. Uh, it's amazing when you start live streaming something because it tweets it immediately. I guess Periscope's owned by Twitter. Yeah. Tweets it immediately. And, you know, within five seconds of me starting the live stream, I mean, just people are jumping on. There were, you know, <laughs> I don't know how many there were, but several people that so, got on so immediately. So maybe, maybe we should uh, periscope the show every, every once Actually, in a while. Actually, we should. You know what? What, right now? Yes. I'm not prepared for that. Periscope. We'll just do it real quick. I would do this. What are, technology? What, what are you seeing now? Okay, I'm going to ding you for not being prepared. Start broadcast. There we go. Uh, double tap to flip camera. We're live. Good day, sir. Recording. Here you go, folks. <laughs> Let's see. If, oh, we've got four. There's Matt's on. Matt Morris. Oh. Hey, Matt. What's up, man? We are. Uh, we just started recording. It's John. Say hi. Hi, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I look so excited. Oh, Steve. No, Steve just joined. Steve's, got, Steve's wondering if you're getting another pedicure. Yeah. Oh, there's Matt. He says, yeah. Yep. This is our, this is our setup. We just decided I, I've, I've discovered periscopes and I'm, I'm live streaming all of my lives. So now we're going to get a tripod and everything events. and have it just set up and. Oh, the Glenn's on. <laughs> he says, hello, good sir. <laughs> anyway. Cool. Cool. All right. You done with that? Does this make you self-conscious? It does. <laughs> <laughs> I know that. <laughs> All right. Bye, guys. I don't even know how to end this. Swipe down. Is that probably the, Oops, the worst part work. of Periscope is trying to figure out how to yes. jump off of it <laughs> without looking like an idiot? <laughs> you're just you're swiping with, with your finger just trying to figure it out. Well, that was exciting. That was exciting. Sorry for people who are listening to the, to the recorded <laughs> <laughs> podcast. Uh, so speaking of relaxing and your fractured bones, uh, there was, science news is reporting that cannabis can be used to treat fractures. So we have cannabis in our coffee and we have cannabis now to treat bone fractures. You know, this is not the first time that people have suggested that I smoke weed this for, stuff my, is like for my pain. The cure-all. You can make clothes with it. You can, you can manage your illnesses with it and you could relax with your coffee well it's it's always been one of the most useful plants throughout you know the history of man until we decided to make it illegal yeah anyways i thought it'd be interesting so you're saying should i try that no you're already healed up man oh. you're all tall and fixed and i don't know my, my legs hurting again all of a sudden oh, I think oh, all I, of a sudden huh? i might need to smoke up <laughs> <laughs> uh, are we allowed to do that in the building here or is that against the rules? It's against the rules. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not in my presence. Yeah. No. 
found someone on uh, who's ridden the Lexus hoverboard. Oh, yeah? Yeah. You sure it's not a fake? It's apparently real. This Marty, Mc, not Marty McFly. <laughs> <I'm> re- <laughs> this Marty McFly claims to have ridden the hoverboard. <laughs> no, uh, pro skater. I was reading the article. Pro skater Ross McGarren. I used to be. I used. I not not used to be a skater, but I have skated in the past casually among friends when I was younger. But John the skater. Yeah, that was that was my skater days. I had the whole that. the whole outfit going and everything. <laughs> man, I was such a wannabe poser. Oh, I'm sure you thought you were cool. It was. A, it was a. It was a rough time in my development. Was trying this to middle school? Who I was? Yeah, it was just middle school. Yeah. It's like when you're trying to figure out who you are, what group you belong to, and you know, those kind of things. Yeah, so I ended up with the skaters for a bit. I remember when I moved to Dallas. I think I was in seventh grade, so that would have been twelve. I was about twelve. It, at least half the guys were skaters here. Yeah, and I was just like, "Wow, this is a thing." Everyone's, a, <laughs> and I was like, "Should I become a skater?" You know. But I had zero skills, so I'm like, I'm just going to avoid that whole thing so I don't make myself look stupid. <laughs> you just have to have a good-looking board and then just act cool, and then everyone thinks you're awesome. There you go. I guess so. So anyways, he apparently wrote it. He says it's it's like starting all over again. It, it's nothing like skating on a real board, and obviously so. There's no friction. So, you know, how do you do – you can't do the normal tricks you used to do, and you, you know those movements match up. I don't see how you would keep it from just flying out from underneath you. Yeah. So it, it's an interesting perspective because, I mean, we all think about hoverboards and we all think about the movie and how he just kind of jumped on it and started going like he did any other time when he had wheels. But the reality is it's probably very different. Yeah. Of course, you know, grabbing onto the back of a truck and everything probably be the same. True. You're all about the hoverboard, man. I, I want a hoverboard, man. My daughter said the other day, she go, when I was saying, you can be whatever you want. She goes, I could be a scientist that goes to the moon or something. I was like, yeah. Then she goes, or I could be the scientist that invents the hoverboard. I'm like, yeah, go for it. <laughs> She's a little late for that one, I guess, if this is real. Maybe, yeah. Um, Talend is uh, now supporting Salesforce Analytics. Is it Talend or Talend? Like a- I've always called it Talend. Really? I don't know. Maybe it's... What I, is it? Talent? I thought it was a play on like a talon. Hmm. Could be compl- or talent. I don't know. It's so funny. These words that I, I think in my head are said one way and then someone will come off and say, that's Talenda. Um, and oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what are you saying? Talend. It's Dund- Talenda. Dunder Mifflin Sabre. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, an old friend of mine works for Talend. She does like um, product management or something, mm. but she's always trying to hire developers. Yeah. So, yeah. They're, well, it's always um, nice to hear that, you know, these interfaces are still, or companies are still, you know, signing on with Wave. And isn't their main thing like some kind of integration platform it service? It is. And they're like, they're freemium, right? Or uh, it's, it's open source yeah, or th- something? I'm not sure if that's changed recently. Back in the day, it was kind of a freemium thing, but um, I'm not sure how much of that's changed recently. But I mean, they've always been able to integrate with Salesforce, um, but now they're supporting the Wave portion. So as does, well. this, does this just mean that you can use Talent to load? Yeah. Completely arbitrary data into mm-hmm. Wave? Okay. So if I don't use something like Talend or Informatica, can I just use the whatever APIs that those things use to load my data into Wave? There is an analytics API, and then there's also the flat file loader. So you'll, you should be able to do... I want to use the API that they're using. You should be able to use the Wave API. It is an API? There is API. one? Yep. Okay. So you don't have to use one of these third-party... <laughs> I'm not sure if it's fully public yet it might still be a beta thing um 
but I know it's out there somewhere. I've always wondered that. You're making me look up stuff. Here we go. Anyways, moving on. It's supposed to be kind of our lightning round. This is? Yeah. Do I need to get my bell out? No. Because those, those, those were all part of my lightning round topics. Now we get into some real stuff. Okay. Now we get into squid. We haven't talked about squid in a while. It has been a while. Yeah. And sometimes the news well, comes not, to you. Not, sometimes, that you ha- not that you've been neglecting squid. No, I mean, no. A lot of times I go out and try to find the news. This news came to me. In, awesome into your inbox? Into my inbox. Squid bonsai. Bonsai! <laughs> uh, you're a little late on that one, but... Well, I wasn't quite sure when you wanted it. As soon as I said bonsai. Oh, okay. I did the little hand thing. I didn't say that. See, I need a periscope. <laughs> now we need a periscope so I can point at you and everyone can see how late you are with the, yeah. the clips. Uh, so yeah, uh, it is, it's a private beta, so it's not out to everybody. Uh, Squid guys, uh, can I get a, access to that private beta? Really appreciate it. I'm surprised you don't. I'm, I'm sure you could if you asked for it. I think it was just, yeah, I'm asking for it now. Okay. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of great stuff in it. It's, there's a lot of stuff in it. It's hard f- it's going to be hard for me to highlight it all, and I might need to kind of take it offline and digest it, because again, the email just came right before we started recording, mm. so I hadn't seen it yet. Um, but there's a lot of great stuff. You'll be able to link to external data sources. I'm not sure how that's going to work yet, but uh, you know, apparently you'll be able to use like REST, OData, or SharePoint you know, APIs to access that data, similar to connections, I believe, in Salesforce. Or, Salesforce maybe, it is, or maybe it is using Salesforce Connect. Um, but that's one of the features. Uh, you, the new uh, Squid Theme Composer will be in this release, which I'm excited about. They talked about that previously, about building a theme builder since they introduced the concept of themes. So we'll see. That'll have some really nice functionality. Oh, a lot of new stuff. Uh, headers and footers to brand your apps. The nice thing about those headers and footers is um, I think they're going to be reusable components. You'll be able to say, here's a header and footer for my application, and then everything in between it will be kind of loaded dynamically. So you'll be able to have like a a header with a custom navigation and all those kind of things. And that'll be really nice. I I can make heavy use of that. Um, A lot of updates to the different components to do a lot of more different things. Um, Searching, a new responsive grid component, which sounds interesting. Uh, Being able to personalize the themes and a lot of things at a more granular level. Um, rich text components, sensitive data locations, manipulate data in real time, squid lightning and light, or you can use lightning and lightning components in squid as well. Squid lightning. Salesforce one lightning. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it sounds like a big release. It is. It, it is a it's big like release, the, so I'll, I'll have to comb through it and kind of pick out my favorite highlights and hopefully get access to it, and I, I, we can talk about some of the features a little bit more. Didn't they have a big release like, like a couple of months ago? It hasn't been that long, right? Well, they had their major Superbank release, and that was That's what, right. almost a S- year. Superbank? Is that what was it was? that six months ago, maybe? <laughs> seems, I don't know. I have no sense of time, I guess. It seems like it was a couple it had of months to ago to me. at least six months ago, because I know I developed a bunch of stuff using that, the tools that were made available in that one. Like for a project that was due in January, or February. Hmm. You okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
excuse my uh, burp. I tried to be quiet about it. <laughs> Sound like a little frog or something. <laughs> that was me actively trying not to burp on the air. I think you held it in. I could just but since we don't since you won't let me edit the podcast. <laughs> no, for things no like editing. that. It's, uh, it, it's a, do I have to catch a release for for burping on the air? No, I, I, I don't think so. I didn't come across like I sound like you held it in anyway. Okay. Um. So you know this TOB index, which is uh, I, I would say infamous for its dubious accuracy it's the it's the index that they track the popularity of programming languages mm. and what's dubious about it is just their methodology and, and there's no perfect methodology but a while so what back, is their methodology i don't even know it has something to do with tracking google searches that's one thing and uh even you like youtube stuff and it's just like yeah but a while back red monk who um these are they're like as an it analyst firm but they focus they're really focused on programmers and software development compared to like a Gartner or one of the big, one of the bigger ones. But they started doing a, their own like programming language ranking. And it's kind of a cross section or a, a, I guess a cross section between what was it? Uh, GitHub. So usage of the language on GitHub mm-hmm. and GitHub repo, public repos. And what was the other dimension? Stack overflow. So, to me, that's would be what you know way more um, relevant, I guess. Or mm-hmm. like I would care about that particular measure way more than Google searches or or YouTube appearances or or All whatever right. the other one's doing. So it's pretty interesting. You know, you've got <clears throat> really no surprises: Java, JavaScript, you know, Python, PHP. Unfortunately, um, but you know, nowhere to be found is our beloved Apex. <laughs> On the red muck. Now, Apex Which is odd because Apex was on their kind of evaluation thing they did recently. What was that? Apex was? Yeah. Not red monk. No, on, on uh, Stack Overflows. Their survey, their pro- developer survey, programming survey. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, it, it didn't rank them. Not, not in a good way. It didn't rank right? them in a good way, but that it was, was the, on there. That was there, the was, technology there was some that, awareness. It was the technology that people most wanted to not use anymore. <laughs> Although the footnote on that, I think, was a bit misleading. I don't remember it that much, but Apex does show up on the TOB index. They show up, uh, I think, between. They don't show up on the graph, but if you read basically the footnote, they're listed in like I think it's in the fifty-one to one hundred ranking. So they're mm-hmm. there. But the weird thing is, doesn't Oracle have a? Isn't who? Someone else has an Apex. I think it's Oracle. It's one of the Oracle apps or something. Someone else has an Apex programming language. Unfortunately, so I think they kind of get mashed together mm-hmm. and they they mutually benefit each other when it comes to rankings. <laughs> yeah, you know, as much as uh, we're immersed in this ecosystem and you hear Salesforce talk about how they have, what is it, millions of de- developers, over a million developers, it really just barely hits the radar in, in the grand scheme of things. Well, developers is a, for Salesforce, developers is a very generic term. That's true. And I'm hoping the new certification program will change that. We'll get a little bit more granular in, in who's a developer and who's a quote-unquote app builder. I think you can become a developer in, in about a day, right? Salesforce? I want you to tick me because that whole what sentence is nothing but upward inflections. Are you up-talking? <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I was just t- I was going into Valley Girl mode. It's like uh, this, and then I was like that. This one time at Dreamforce, we <laughs> talked about developers, and you can become a developer in a day. <laughs> Oh, I need to pay for that. Just one. don't, just don't start the vocal fry on me. You're not uh, really, uh, really get you on that one. All right. 
So yeah, uh, you know, the thing is, and I tell people this, especially people who are kind of cut their teeth or got their chops or whatever on, on, in the Salesforce world, like go and learn some other, learn, pick another programming language, like learn, learn one a year or learn one a year. I tried that. That's tough. It is tough. Every year I've, I've either gotten into rails or try to get back into Java, which I still have a hard time getting back into. Um, PHP. I mean, I mean, a lot of these I, I know and I've done work with, but I've I've never made them a primary language for myself. It's it, but it's good to well, know. I didn't I didn't say make it a primary language. I'm just saying that, you know, and I I won't I try not to get too critical here. I mean, Apex is based on pretty old a pretty old Java. It's you know it's a verbose language. It's that's kind of just stuck because of the way that Salesforce you know runs its platform. It's it's they've got every you know thousands of companies code that's all written in Apex and and they've said they don't have any interest in you know, adding certain features that would make it a better language. And, and actually we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. That's part of my idea of the week, but uh, you know, it, it is what it is. It's a, it's a database triggering language. Wasn't really designed to build, you know, significant apps in and stuff like that. So uh, it's always good to go out and learn another language. Maybe JavaScript if, if you're looking for something, because unfortunately that is probably, yeah, that's, that's if, your best bet. And to really learn it, like don't just go learn jQuery. You know, get yeah, get a good yeah, JavaScript really. book, like the the good parts. Or well, know the language, not just you know DOM manipulation, which is what you get with jQuery and all those other languages when you're focused on web development. You know, learn the actual language, you know, the syntax, the, you know, how it works, all the underpinnings of it, and then start worrying about DOM manipulation. Well, because DOM is just an API. I mean, yeah, it happens to be an important API if you're doing web development, but it's just an API, right? It's right. not. I mean, in fact, DOM is, there are many language bindings to the DOM. There's, you know, all kinds of stuff. JavaScript just happens to be one of them, but. Well, speaking of languages, yeah. I've got some news for you. Okay. What do you use for Java development? Like tools or? Yeah, tools. Like an IDE, what do you? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> My preferred is IntelliJ. Yeah. Well, I think you really like this news, okay. although it's not free. But uh, a company or individual who has a company writing software has developed something called Illuminated Cloud. And it's a Force.com plugin for IntelliJ. So you're able to develop Visual Force Apex and all those kind of things using your favorite IntelliJ IDE. And it supports things like code completion, navigation, formatters. API documentation, type-aware syntax, template-based source creations, and a bunch of other stuff. The un- and I'll check this out, but un- uh, it's not free, huh? Um, no, it's a twenty-five per license. We'll s- we'll see how they do. I mean, the the problem is um, Salesforce doesn't publish. Um, oh, they've got so there's the tooling API and things, but they don't like publish. There's like interface files or the or class files for all the the built-in. I guess the if you th- think of it as like the SDK or the um, what what would you call like all the built-in classes that Apex has, all the system classes and all mm-hmm. that. So the only I mean, how do you how do you generate the basically the metadata that you would need to run code completion, all that stuff off of? Do you reverse engineer the docs or something? Or uh, you're, you're, I mean, you're dealing with the metadata API and the tooling API, and you're pulling as much information as you can. The metadata API that is not, it doesn't allow you to discover built-in classes and things. You see what I'm saying? Right. So how are they 
how are they doing auto completion or code? What's uh, what's the uh, like IntelliSense type thing? You know, how would they do that? Well, some of it's kind of built into the IDE itself, so it has a internal. I mean, but are they scraping like Salesforce's documentation to know what all the built-in classes are and all those types of things? I think so. Yeah, I mean that's that's what you'd have to do. So again, because of those types of limitations, it's only going to be so good. There's a and like the Eclipse plugin that Salesforce produces, it can only be it it can only be so good because Mm -hmm. of the underlying technology limitations. But I'll I'll give it a shot. But that's a that's a technical hurdle that. Not not just these guys at Illuminated Cloud, but you have Brain Engine, who's also producing an IDE. You have Maven's Mate, who has their IDE on on Sublime Text, which is my favorite. And it it's yeah, and it doesn't have. I mean, its code completion is extremely weak, just because of. And it's not it's not its fault. It's just there's there's not the data available. Like you don't have class files that it can like in the Java world. Right? It would scan. It would scan like the JDK comes with all the you know all the all the classes that are part of the JDK, right? Right. And so it can just fly through those. There's reflection in it. I mean, it builds its own little database so that it can drive code completion. For me, this is this is about options. This is about not having to not having to be stuck with the Eclipse IDE. It, it gives me options to use, you know, an IDE that I enjoy and, and tools that I use that I enjoy. Um, you're still dealing with a lot of the same issues that you're dealing with, you know, across all of them. They're all going to have that kind of slow save time, you know, build compile time and all those kind of things. And yep all those errors that come back, lack of refactoring, all those, all those things that we've talked about before. However, at least I have a choice. At least I'm starting to get something. And with more of these IDs out there, th- that means there's more demand for the tooling API. And with more demand means they, they should be continuing to invest in it because it's, it's valuable. People are using it. You'd think so. But again, when I raise certain issues, the answer I get from them is, you know what, just Jeremy Ark, most of our customers aren't asking for these things. They just you're, don't care about you're that. But about, you're talking about language-specific features, and I'm, I'm just talking about the tooling API in general, which is what these things are using. Well, they do. Some of them can use the tooling API, um, but that doesn't. the tooling API doesn't even address most of these things that, that make Salesforce development not fun. No, no, I agree. You're you're talking about the actual language features itself, and not I'm just, just talking not, about. Well, yeah, I mean that's that's one of the big ones for me is, is just is the language features, but also like you mentioned, I mean just the save times, compile times, the deployment model, the way the static resources work, the whole thing. It's like this is all going to be fixed if this is going to be a competitive technology platform. Right. And it's it. I agree with you. I mean, like having an option is good, like because maybe they'll do a better job with this than Maven's Mate did, or than the Eclipse plug-in did um but they're still they're still limited you know they're just on what how how good it, it's still limited by on how good it can be by just the salesforce platform itself true but you know i mean who knows i mean who tried whatever, happen, whatever happened with brain engine did that did they no there's something does that exist they're still there they still exist they have you did you use it um i haven't used it since way back when but they've continued. you did use it though I tr- I demoed it. I I tried okay. it out. I did a trial, and it was it was nice. It was it was fine. It was it was it was a similar IDE that you would get in Visual Studio. It was very very much inspired by Visual Studio, basically. Um, but they've since added a lot more tools, a lot more services around the tooling. So that I think they have you know a bunch of new services around team collaboration and you know all those kind of things in the tool itself. But I haven't looked at it recently. Yeah, it does. It looks like Visual Studio. It looks like Windows. 
And I think they have like a <laughs> cloud version as well, but I'm and that looks very much still very much very uh Windows Visual Studio style. Um are these who's who are the guys that um are making a Salesforce deployment? Have you seen this? No. It's like deployment as a service. And that's interesting. Yeah. It is interesting. And and what's interesting. My problem isn't necessarily creating the packages. My problem is dealing with all the errors and the iterations of deployments that happen because of that. Yes. That's my pain point. Because there's no way to, there's no way to say, here's my build, deploy this build. It Salesforce deployment doesn't work that way. Deployment is an API that you have to call to basically you're making a lot of API calls to manipulate the system that's already there. Right. right? And so you can, you can have a build, a code base, a release, but if you want to deploy that to org a, then you have to look at org a and figure out what are these set of actions that have to be done now. And there's just basically no way. I don't think there's no reasonable way that tool could automate that. I've thought about this so many times to try to, and I've, you know, I've got a handful of tools that I've cobbled together that I've either written myself or, um, are just open source projects that, that get about as close as what I think you can get. So I can't remember what those guys are called. Uh, it's not brain engine. It's something like that. It's got a, they've got like a sprocket in their logo or something, but hmm. anyway. Well, I think, I think more than anything, these, these type of tools, you know, they are limited by what Salesforce provides in the API, but I think one thing they can do and one thing they are doing is they're seeing a pain point. They know there's, there's only so far they can go with it, but at least the parts that they can control, they're trying to make useful. They're trying to make enjoyable. They're trying to make painless as possible. Whether that's doing some extra caching of information or trying to provide some extra feedback or some value add on top of it that doesn't involve Salesforce, at least at least there's an opportunity for that. Yeah. That's thing also about like an IntelliJ plugin is I'm already really familiar with IntelliJ editor. So if, if you are if you already use IntelliJ, yeah. you know, you're probably gonna have the same editor, so the same keyboard shortcuts and all the and it, they, IntelliJ has a really nice editor. And so. that's a good point. That's that's one reason Salesforce should continue to advance the tooling API and, and make sure that these tools have a place to go to because yeah, exactly. If you if you're a Java developer and you enjoy IntelliJ, and you find out, oh, I can just start using Salesforce in my chosen environment. That that's a plus. Yeah. To getting you to do more Salesforce development. Right. Yep. So I have a oh, get me smacker. You smacker. Um, I have a, a WTF of the week, and I even have a sound clip for it. What the. F- talking about <laughs> <laughs> nice editing yeah now do you know i was trying to get a, a task earlier yeah do you, you recognize that little jingle <laughs> i do the 1992 jingle that salesforce has when you have uh, what is it like an event or a, a task reminder it's i guess the, yeah, it's the reminder <laughs> jingle oh uh, i actually have a couple so one of them was um Okay, so this one org that I've been working in, someone had installed a, a one of these app exchange, I guess, free unmanaged packages that do something. It was like a like a, re, a tool to mass reassign records or something like that. Which, by the way, reminds me, I told the story earlier this week to some people. I can remember, I was, I think I was in middle school, and a buddy of mine, we both had computers, but we would get on. I think it was like BBSs. Or maybe it was like Prodigy or something. I think it was B. I think this was BBS age. You're so and, old. I know I am. <laughs> and we we've just looked for as much shareware as we could get. That's just total. Most of half of it's cra- complete crap. No shareware. Yeah, whatever pirates. Um, but we'd always download, you know, just you know, little screensavers or all kinds of different crap. 
Um, and my friend's dad would get so mad at us because we would install this shareware on this computer and he'd be, he'd, you know, he, I'd, he'd always say, you know, don't put that damn shareware on our computer, you know, no, that damn shareware. <laughs> he would just always, you know, get onto us about that. And that's, I feel like that guy now, like people, anytime someone installs one of these crappy unmanaged packages in a production org that the tests don't even pass on it. I'm like, quit installing that damn shareware. <laughs> <laughs> it's no good. So anyway, so actually, so they installed in production. I was trying to move this into a sandbox so that I could, I'm like, okay, well, if this is going to be part of our production thing, then I want it, I want it in the, in the code base and it's going to go through, you know, our testing and version controlling and everything else. So I got to get it in my sandbox and I got deployed and it says, uh, you cannot specify a gender for a gender neutral language was that's the metadata message I got. I thought, what the hell is this? So I, I look in the object file. That mm-hmm. defines. Um, I think they had a. I think it created a custom object. And sure enough, there's an attribute, a gender attribute. I'm like, wow, I've never. I didn't even know you could specify. Okay, so what it is is some like like the Romance languages, French, mm-hmm. Italian, Spanish. They have you know gender. Like a word has a is either a nouns are usually either masculine or feminine. Hmm. And sure enough, this one specified a gender, and it was like f- feminine, but spelt with an extra e on the end, like so it looked French. And then I go to look at this. I went back in production, looked at this package, and sure enough, like the page layout is in is the title of it's in in French. And so I guess whoever made this, you know, it's a f- French person. And or I thought, they're catering to the. Well, here's so here's what's weird. Okay, so yes, this this org is I guess that language is is English and right. everything. And I and I pulled down the metadata for that object from production, and just directly deployed it into my sandbox. And I'm getting this message about you cannot specify a gender because you are using a gender neutral language, English. Hmm. So why did it come out of production that way? Like why in production did it have a gender, but in my sandbox, it won't accept a gender. I don't even know how Probably that happened. Because not everything can be deployed that way. Well, first of all, you try to pull the man- was this a was this a refresh of the sandbox or you just pulled the meta you just pulled the classes and everything see uh, no it was not even classes it was just it was this was just an, a custom object that i just the custom object yeah. itself mm-hmm. the, mm. it was a custom object that had the gender thing and i'm just see, like, if i'm trying to get same function parity functionality between sandbox and production i usually go for the refresh first and then if there's a package involved i'll try to install the package versus try to copy everything down because there's yeah. there's a lot of risk of just trying to move class files and objects down well, there shouldn't be, and this is a, this is again another huge problem with this Salesforce metadata model. Of, I mean, I should, I can download it right. I mean, well, I've got another case. Really, in fact, this is my second WTF. Created a Salesforce case about three or four weeks ago because we we are unable to put uh, person account fields, so any field that, for your account or contact, onto a page layout through through metadata. Hmm. Fails so every you can't time. Deploy them. Fails every time. I can't even. Yeah, I can't do anything with them. Um, you can down. You can download the metadata for a page layout, and then just push it immediately right back, and it fails. Oh, it won't, it won't even take its own yeah. metadata. Just produce right. And so you know, so I've, so I've been going back and forth with. with I created a case. I've been going back and forth with Salesforce. So you know, they're giving me all these updates. You know, good morning. We've raised an investigation with R and D. We're waiting to hear back for, from them. And like you know. About a week later, we're currently talking to R&D and our accounts team regarding this. We'll keep you posted. And then the manager comes in and says, hey, Jeremy, just a quick note. Um, we're reviewing this. You know, this, the other guy's following up with R&D. We'll continue to push this along. Um, 
another message. Um, hey, Jeremy, uh, you know, R&D is working. Um, uh, they, have, they filed a bug for this. I'll, I'll give you an update later tomorrow. Um, we're doing next, another comment. We're doing some verifications on our end. We'll keep you updated. And then I, you know, I asked him, how's it going? Um, oh, no, he, here he says, hi, Jeremy, how are you? R&D has logged a bug for this issue, and we have scheduled a fix for this. We do not have an ETA. You got a fix coming, though, right? Uh, there's, no, there's no ETA. So he says the workaround is, is to deploy after removing your personal account fields. He says, on that note, I will be closing this case with status bug fix submitted. And I replied, I'm like, I, I hope you're not serious about that. I'm not going, every time we deploy, I'm not going to remove all of my account fields from all the page layouts because it's also related objects that have bringing account things into the related list. Those you can't, I'm like, this is, this is unworkable. I can't deploy anything. This is, there's no way this can work. Well, you're just talking, well, yeah, no, I understand your frustration, but uh, that type of situation in the deployment process, there are a certain amount of activities that are flagged as manual. Either manual before or manual after. And, that's the fields what, on a page layout's not one of them, though. You know, you should be able to deploy page layouts. Yes, I mean you can even you can but even download your page layout. You can I'm, pull I'm your. Just saying it, in the process, I have a mechanism for that, and that's where something like that would end up. Is it would be in the manual what is, process. What is your mechanism for that? We can't deploy it, so it has to be manual. Okay, and, and it either has to be done before or after the yeah. deployment. Right. Fortunately for you, I mean, page layouts... Well, it have to be done after because you might add new fields. You might Part of your deployment it may be a new field, so you can't deploy right. your page layouts until after yeah. it's done. It, so in, in large orgs that I've been involved in, um, the process did involve a committee, which is kind of sad, but it did involve a committee where right. we all kind of looked at everything that everyone logged that needed to go into this next release, and we had to map out, okay, what's going to be manual, what's going to be, what's going to happen after... How many deployment packages are we going to have to push? Is it one, two? Uh, ones are great because we can at least do the test. We can at least test ahead of time and say, okay, let's validate our deployment. The twos, we had to break it up into two for one reason or another, meaning deploy this set, do some manual activity, then deploy the next set. Right. Were difficult because you can't really test that ahead of time. Yep. So that, that meant a longer evening. And this is just, this just completely flies in the face of, Modern software engineering, which is, you know, deployments are frequent, they're automated, you know, they're, they're almost non-events. I mean, that's, that's the goal, especially with, you know, continuous integration, continuous delivery. Deployment should be non-events and completely automated. And in Salesforce world, I mean, everyone does deployments infrequently because they're so scary. They, so much can go wrong. There's, it's so manual. You could get halfway through your deployment. Like you just said, you might do your first deployment. Now you've got to do this manual stuff and then do a second deployment. What if the second deployment doesn't work? Or there's, right. you discover problems with it that can take hours to fix, right? Especially considering that it can take you know, an hour just to deploy a, a single minor change because all tests have to run again. So now your system, your org is in a state that you've, you're half deployed. So you know, all kinds of stuff's broken. It's like, okay, just no one use the system now because we are half pregnant here. It's like we're... We, <laughs> <laughs> half pregnant. Where, That's what I'm saying. Like is you, that a thing? You can be half pregnant? You shouldn't be, right? You shouldn't be able to be. Oh, I just, I really hope they improve right, the situation. Calm down. Find your Zen moment. Yes. Where's that, uh, where's that weed? <laughs> no. Talk to me about spaghetti code. Oh, the dangers of spaghetti code. Yeah. So it's, it's good. It tastes delicious. I guess this was new. So Toyota, 
basically got, I think they lost a major lawsuit. Um, Toyota? Yeah. So they, they had an the issue. Car company? Yeah. They had an issue with their, what they were calling it UA, unintended acceleration or something like that. Hmm. Their cars were just, without even hitting the gas pedal, were just, they would just take off. And people were getting, I mean, people died, you know, people have gotten in wrecks and people have died. That, that, that must have taken a while to prove because isn't that what everyone says when they ran into someone in the back? It just took off on me. Yeah. So this was, this was actually several years ago and, you know, they went into a m- massive investigation. So as a part of that, they were looking at, because this is all, you know, com- cars are all controlled by computers. So they're looking at through the, the source code and just their process of, development, all that kind of stuff. And they basically what they discovered is that their code base is just absolute spaghetti code. <laughs> and in Toyota ends up losing, basically, you know, getting into a major problem here. They, I think they lost this lawsuit because it was so easy to prove that they were not that number one, that what was, what caused it, but also just the negligence, I guess. And the just poor management that led to that. It was all around just, just bad code. Yeah, but I just thought it would be, you know, a nice little opportunity to talk about spaghetti code. So this is the, and this is, and this is all over the news. I mean, you can find this. I don't know where this is from, but you know, the term spaghetti code sends, you know, shivers down the spine of almost every developer. Tangled and complex in nature, it's often described as unmaintainable, unstructured, impossible to debug. Basically, effed up. That's what this says. Um, in 2013, Toyota was deemed to have acted with reckless disregard in a lawsuit that involved the unintended acceleration of their vehicles. The case stemmed from the death of these people who, who lost throttle control of their car. Um, so they had, you know, they hired these experts to do all the source code review. And what they determined was Toyota's electronic throttle control system, the ETCS source code is of unreasonable quality. Uh, the source code is defective and contains bugs, including bugs that can cause unintended acceleration. Um, code quality metrics predict presence of additional bugs. And Toyota's fail-safes are defective and inadequate, referring to them as a house of cards. So, I mean, you know, everyone, we've all been in projects where for one reason or another, and this, one thing this thing talks about, it's, it's rarely one person's fault. It's just you have a lot of people involved and... You know, you're trying to get a certain number of things done yeah. and, you know, someone creates a, you know, let's say a class file or something or, or even a, a variable or something. And all of a sudden, you know, two weeks later, some other developer sees that and says, oh, I'll, I'll tack this thing onto that. Right. I need someone to put this or I'm or I'll read, you know, oh, there's this field. There's some variable. I'll, I'll go ahead and use that. And just it's well, kind of I, a lack of design, lack of should... lack of refactoring, lack of lack of paying down technical debt. You've got to pay down technical I think the spaghetti code tends to result in not reuse. You know, you're you don't you're or, unaware of functionality well, or that's really in the poor. System. I mean, the I mean, I think that kind of the by definition spaghetti code is when you you have you have uncontrolled reuse, uncontrolled just things reaching across through not not published you know interfaces. The things you're not supposed to do. Yeah, it's there. Well, spaghetti code is just code that's just hard to follow. It's hard to read. It's hard to understand the chain of, of execution. I mean, it, for, right. Yeah. I mean, I it, it, can, it can include some reuse, but I think a lot of times what happens, especially if we apply it to Salesforce, is that someone has a class. I, I do it all the time, or I see it all the time, is I have my unit test helper class, and a lot of us out there do. But a lot of us have our own way of doing that. 
And so what'll happen is I'll go into an org where there's a lot of different developers and I'll see two or three different util- unit test helper classes. Yeah. And these are just factory classes that create instances of objects so that if someone adds a new validation rule, we can change it in one spot and our tests start working right. again. But I'll still see <laughs> two or three different versions of that. Yeah. Um, and that to me is how a lot of that spaghetti code starts. Yeah. Or versioning and not wanting to get, you know, get rid of old code. Right. Yeah, I mean, it all just adds up to low or, quality or massive. A lot of, a massive lot of commenting depth. of code, mm-hmm. and there's like one line in between your massive, massive amount of commenting that is still active. Right. In between a, a bunch of comment, uh, yeah. you know, commented code. Um, also highlighted here, the problem with uh, particles of legacy code is that they are like gems of corals. They tend to attract other bad code, and they soon become as ha- hard as hell to remove. Introduce a temporary temporary variable. And be sure that the next programmer will feel justified to attach some code to it, hmm. right? And now you can't remove that. That also really highlights how important it is to have low coupling, right? But, you know, in, def- in very fi- defined coupling between things, which is why I'm always saying, you know, Apex really needs like some kind of packages or namespaces or something. Because as it is, I'll get into this because it's part of my idea of the week. Pretty much any 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 code in your org can form dependencies on any of the other code because there's no there's no um, like package privacy there's no units of kind of deployment or reuse it's just every it's a free for all right and that's a well you di- do have managed package privacy at the very least well that's like if you install some other product it's going to come yeah. in as a managed package but that's but that's I like, mean Toyota isn't building on Salesforce their cars aren't running Salesforce down the road. And they're built on on a language that supports all that, and that didn't prevent it. I have no idea what language it's printed, but yeah, you can't blame it on their technology. I mean, you can't blame it on their. It it was clear from this re- from this investigation that it was just pra- poor practices. Yeah, you know, you can't can't blame that on a on a language, right? Right. Um. Yeah. So you know, spaghetti code is a byproduct of industrial programming that is usually, but not always, an entropic result of too many hands passing over code. Yeah, it's also dangerous in the habits that developers can establish via their interaction with it. So just, you know, you're on a team that works like that or whatever. It just it becomes habit, you know, to do these, you know, low hygiene type of yeah. practices. So, yeah, I mean, always always make a case for paying down technical debt. You know, take a sprint or something or or make it part of your sprints or whatever your process is. Yeah. You know, it needs to be something that management knows the value of it and what can happen when you don't. Show them this. Here's an, I mean, this is obviously on a big scale. But you know, yeah. things go bad when you when you ignore your technical debt. So speaking of unintended consequences, I have actually have a couple of things on unintended consequences, and I'll I'll bring them forefront because we're talking about them now. One of them, this happened to me a while back, and I'll read this note. I had some code that uh occurred on a trigger. And the code, um, basically, we had these leads, and we have these spouse records that are attached to the lead. So you have the primary lead and the secondary secondary lead. Now, this is for a company that does B to B to C, basically. Okay, they deal with people, right. not companies. Mm-hmm. And so naturally, person accounts. <laughs> naturally, well, this is at the lead front. Okay, and so there's there's no person leads or anything. I mean, they're all persons, but, right? But we needed a way to associate them and link them together. But we also wanted when that primary lead got converted, we also wanted to convert the secondary lead 
as a contact and attach them to the same account. So I had some code in there that did that, but I ran it in a future as a as an asynchronous trigger, okay. basically. Mm-hmm. And my thinking is that, well, the user doesn't need to know about this, doesn't need to do anything. This is just a, a back-end system function that's going to take this other lead and convert it. Even if it erred, there's nothing they can do about it. It's 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 something that has to be handled separately. Right. So it was in a future call. Now the problem with that is that not everyone who uses futures or or implements them understands that you have to have a bailout for the future. So they they'll they'll flag something as future and not check whether or not they're in a future mode before they make that mm. call. And so what happens is if their code's trying to run or something, it'll go into a, a future context and it'll break or their code will break. And they'll think, well, the answer is I'm going to remove the future off that guy's code. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so here was a note that was, that was in my code. They oh. commented out my future call. As far as I could tell, there was no need for this to run with async. Multiple lead conversion is not currently supported. Now, there's a couple things wrong with that. <laughs> as far as I could tell. Which... Well, first of all, async isn't just meant because I'm going to do multiples. It, it could mean that I want to return control back to the user. I don't want them to have to wait for me to run this process. There's no need for them to wait for me to run this process. Right. You know, let them continue on. Don't, don't be a bad steward of users and force them to sit there and wait while your code does a bunch of junk. Um, two, you can do multiple lead conversions. In a transaction or in a single like convert call, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, lead convert does support either sending a single object or multiple leads to be converted. Okay. And that's true of the API as well. Right. So it's true in Apex and it's true in the API. So you can actually do that. So then it got me to thinking, you know, do people really understand what async is for? What that type of processing is for? Is it... I mean, it's for lots of things. I mean, you know, you could, there's different reasons, use cases for doing something asynchronously, right? It could be to get out of time limits. It could be just because the user doesn't care. So why make them make them sit there and wait if there's nothing that they can do about an error anyway, or if it's not, a, if they're, you know, if it's not affecting kind of the, their next stream of work they're doing. Right. Um, it could be because you need to do uh, like maybe some kind of call out and you can't do those in triggers, right? I mean, there's, there's lots of reasons why. Yeah. why. So it's it's kind of dangerous to say I I don't see a reason why this was why this was async. Well, it could it also could be that um you know you because you, you know say you're in a big org with lots of functionality and you the know timing you, and well you might be hitting on some kind of limit like uh you've you've you need to do more than a hundred sockle queries. Is that was that the limit on sockle queries? 100? Yeah. You know, and at some point the only the only escape hatch there is um, just go async at some point. Right. Well, that, I mean, to me this says that people aren't focused on efficiency either. They're, they're just focused on the functionality. I had a very good use case for this. It was isolated code. It, mm-hmm. Nothing else was dependent on it. It could run asynchronously and the user didn't have to sit around and wait, which means that when they click save, everything seemed fast to them still. Yeah. Versus I have to go and query this object. I have to find it. I have to run all this, set all these defaults and everything, create the opportunity. Well, lead convert does all that for me, mm-hmm. but there are certain things I had to do ahead of time right that took time mm-hmm. and so i wanted to make sure the user wasn't having to experience that so although i, I think about other orgs where i go in and you click save and it takes like a good couple seconds to save something because they've attached so much functionality well, to it yeah and there's no there was no thought put into the user you know it was yeah i got, got this trigger and we're running it. we have all this great automated functionality but it takes a minute to save a record well you'd get you'd hit a limit way before that right uh, yeah, you hit the 10-second limit. Right. But I'm just saying, it, it takes time 
that I, I think I want to try to encourage people to kind of think about these things when they write triggers, you know, is this isolated? Can I run this asynchronously? You know, what's the impact? You know, if someone is running something asynchronously, <laughs> make sure I do the check as well to, to know whether or not I'm in that mode and write your code correctly so that you're not having to just take it out. And see, this makes me think of the double edge. So the, all the, a lot of things I ask that I love for Salesforce to add, right? Features, performance, whatever. Um, there's a double edged sword to all of these things. But just every time they, you know, you add a feature, like, because async, right? That's, that's a feature that they added at some point. Mm-hmm. And it's really useful in some cases. Most of the cases are getting around other limitations, right? That's why you use async, because you need to do, you need to do a call out when someone pushes the save button and you can't do that as a part of a trigger, right? right. Or you need to do more than a hundred queries. Um, but for every feature that's added, that's, you're adding complexity to the platform, and it may seem like just a little bit or, or very minor, but those things really start to add up all the time. They also have like la- interactions with other language features, like, or, or they can. And, and these are all potentials for misunderstanding and abuse. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I mean, be realistic. Of, all, of the million Salesforce developers, I mean, how many of them are, are people who, you know, took some classes and then now they're able to do some triggers, which is great and everything, or, versus you know, people who their career long software engineers and they went to head of computer science degree or they, you know, whatever they, you know, that's kind of their craft. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of people who, who are, you know, more entry level or, or what's the word, like intermediate novice type programmers. And you give them these tools and you're giving, you're kind of giving them a lot of rope there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so here, here's a, I'm trying to think of the right way to ask this question. Cause what, what I'm really trying to get to is, a- asynchronous programming in Salesforce, is that a tool in your tool belt that you should actively seek out for efficiency or is it a, a t- feature that exists to get around certain limitations or to do certain types of things like callouts? Is it a single purpose use? I mean, is, is, was future implemented in Salesforce so that you could do certain things or was it there to enhance the language and allow you to produce more efficient code? Well, I think that I've, I would probably answer that with, I would think that probably the original or the driving use cases were um, probably being able to do uh, like callouts in context that you otherwise wouldn't be able to do them in. And also do things like um, uh, the mixed mode, the mixed, the dreaded mixed mode DML operation error. Um, getting, the only way to get around that, I believe, is to async. So if you need to update a contact and a user, mm-hmm. you can't do that. So update one and then fire an async to, to, to update the other. So there's just, those were like hard limitations that async, I think was a solution for. But like you, I mean, I, I see your point though. There's other, there are other reasons. And, you know, I think your question was like, do you, you know, is that something you should always look at as an right. option on, you know, not because you have to, but just because it might be a slight performance increase or something like that. And my answer to that would be, you know, be careful. I mean, just because it's a feature there doesn't mean you have to use it. You know, it's kind of reminds you of the, this, you know, quintessential programmer nerd that every time they learn a new feature, it's like, okay, how can I, you know, how can I use this, the, every time they read a book, they, yeah. Yeah. How can I use the state machine pattern on this thing that I'm solving right now? It's like, well, that has nothing to do with the state machine, you know? So why would you, or I don't know, you know, they 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 get a new tool and so everything you know they get a new hammer so everything looks like a nail to them. Yeah. Um. I don't I don't use async like that. I mean I don't. 
I, I wonder if I'm somewhat unique in that perspective. I'm always thinking about I mean, the user. Are you always going to async? Like just I usually start with async until I decide that it's it's not not something I should do. In fact, my, my pattern for designing a trigger class, mm-hmm. the the class that actually gets called by the trigger, is it, there's a static method that 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 you pass in the the trigger you know information, and then which it's technically there in context, but I don't like that magic, so I make Coupling. sure to pass in. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's globals. You're yeah. Yeah. I mean, technically, if you call it from a trigger, your method will still have access to the trigger, so you could technically go trigger dot new, less testable. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a static method, and that static method within it will decide: okay, am I in a future context already, or am I in a batch context? Which is also important to check. If not, then go ahead and run this asynchronously, because the user doesn't have to sit around and wait for me to do this. I'm not doing anything that that requires their input if something goes wrong or requires their input for some reason or another. Yeah, if if you don't require their input or if they don't care whether the thing succeeds or not, then right. I guess which, you're... Which a lot of times for these triggers and these mechanisms, that's the case. Right. Sure. We have workflow and, and validation rules for everything else. Triggers, when someone comes to me and asks for a trigger, there's some back-end process that needs to happen. So my default is asynchronous. My default is, let's get the user, you know, moved on, you know, and let me do my thing back here. Yeah. My, de- my default definitely is not, async- is not asynchronous. The reason is because for most things, if you are, you know, doing a couple of queries, you know, maybe some, uh, some validation on something, it's, I mean, you can look at the time. It's, it's so fast. You're talking about uh, a handful of milliseconds that, that this trigger may take. Um, also, async adds just, it does add a lot of complexity. I mean, now you have to be, now you have to have async checks all over, which the fact that you have to check async or check future or check that you're in a batch, all these things, like now all code across the whole system has to have these checks everywhere. And it just makes your code suck. I don't mean your code. I mean, one's You just code. said my code sucks. Yeah, no. You heard me. I'm going to ding you for that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just, it's like, really, I have to have these, you know, no, all, I, all I code see your, always I see has to point. check. I mean, the code but shouldn't. That's only, that's only. Within your future, if you're going to write something that's asynchronous, a method, mm-hmm. whatever's calling that method should check to see if it's, if it's already in a future context. Because that's the only time you're going to run an error. It's not like you have to arbitrarily check whether or not in your future or not. It's if you're going to make another future call. If you're going to make another asynchronous call within your code, you're going to have to check before yeah. you do that. So Otherwise, it, it's going to have unintended consequences down the line when you want to add a new future method. Right. Features, I mean, to me are hard are hard to manage. You can really get into some tricky situations. I mean, yeah. it's a good it's a good tool. I think when you have to use it, um, it provides a way to get around limitations that you otherwise would not be able to. Yeah, I see your point. Well, let's move on. Right. So, get content. This was another unattended consequences thing for me. It's actually um, so we talked about this in summer release, and it was like a brief footnote because I didn't really see the We're issue. We have to go to lightning round mode, man. Yeah. So. <laughs> Whenever you call, uh, what the change they made in summer fifteen was that get content and get content PDF on you know on the on the actual it's a page reference, thing, right? right. Okay. So it's basically you're you're saying go get this page and give me the content as a blob, basically yeah, render it into a string or render right. it into a PDF or right, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really see any issue with with their change of making it a callout. So now it now it's considered a callout. Um, and I thought, all right, that's fine. I saw that too. It's going to add to the limit. Oh well, right. However, here, here's what, what does happen. I used it, and the, the issue that came up was I was doing a save of the record. So I was doing some saving of information, then creating the PDF. 
Yep. And what happened? I got an error. Yep. Because you can't, because it's a considered a you call have an out, open transaction. You have an open transaction. You can't do that. So I actually had to do some trick, not trickery, some hackery to basically split my save method into two function calls. And so one was a save right after that, it would go and do the document generation, which sucks because I can't, I can't put all that into a single transaction and I can't roll it all back if there's an error. So now I'm dealing with different states and different er errors at different points in time. But yeah, I mean, that was an unintended consequence of that. So that, that, that change was a little bit bigger of an issue than I thought it was. As much as I'd like to complain about Salesforce, basically downgrading your ability to use that feature, it's not a bad idea. Like you shouldn't be generating PDFs inside a database transaction. Um, I agree. What I do wish is I get, I wish that you had more control over the database transactions. I mean, you, you know, you, you automatically get into a transaction. You don't have any control over its properties and you can, you can roll it back, but you didn't have the choice whether you even started it or not really. Yeah. Um, and you can't really, you can't really, well, I guess you, if you want to bail on a transaction, you throw an exception. That's how you, that's how you roll a transaction back. Yeah. Well, that, this just serves as a reminder to anyone who's getting an error after activating this feature or it's been activated. And you're like, I didn't make any callouts. Check to make sure you're not getting using the get content or get PDF. Yeah. After doing a DML. All right, John. Well, I have. Um, I've got information, man. New shit has come to light. All right. Lightning round. Yeah. And you know what? Or you want to skip it and get to our. No. Finale. Let me. Um, ah, do I not have this? Where did this go? Eating up time, man. I know. Oh, here it is. Nanometer chips are a thing now. Okay, what so is that? So previously, the, the smallest chip was is, is 14 nanometers, and that's what Intel produces, and IBM has found a way to make a chip that's 7 nanometers. And what's interesting is that's going to keep the Moore's Law active. It's going to keep it going. Really? Yeah. I, I don't believe in Moore's Law anymore. Well, it's, it's still being proven today. No. Nope. Okay, so we got. So I have a feeling you put my words into my ears because you want <laughs> to counterpoint me uh, a, a little bit. Okay. Um, so uh, shortly after that, until they released their quarterly results, and as a part of that, they also disclosed that for a second time they are going to miss basically a two-year schedule for for making smaller smaller dies or other smaller yeah, chips. I read that. I swept it under the rug to make my Moore's Law point. Yep, exactly. <laughs> uh, they, went, they went further, projecting another delay. Um, and they set a definition of what people should expect in the future. Because here's a quote from their CEO. The last two technology transitions have signaled that our cadence is closer to a two and a half year thing. But this is what I think, what's the chipset that I've been waiting for to get a new computer? Um, Broadwell, I yeah, think. Yeah, Broadwell. Although I think you should wait for Skylake. Maybe so. I mean, it's like, what? Do you, the, how long do you wait? I mean, they come up with a new chip every, you know, two or three times a year. So, but, you know, I mean, you know, Moore's Law, back to Moore's Law, it's based on being able to shrink stuff down, right? And at some point, you can't shrink stuff down anymore. The IBM thing we talked about last week, they got down to seven nanometers, which, but first of all, I don't know if that's ever going to, I don't know when that'll be like production. Yeah. A bull, you know, but also they, that was not silicon. It was silicon germanium, I think. They actually mm -hmm. had to come up with a new material, which, which is, I mean, I don't think that's necessarily cheating. That's, that's just supporting Moore's Law. It's just yeah. whatever, you know, whether it's a process or a material, getting it shrunk down. But well, I also read an article, and I don't have it linked because I didn't think it was something to talk about, but now I do, do think it's something to talk about. But it was a transistor made out of um, mole molecules, like atom bonds. It was like some kind of 
well, so atoms that's, surrounded by molecules and things like that, and they made a transistor out of it, basically. I wonder if that's, I mean, so that's, maybe that ties into quantum computing. That's, and there's a few things that are going to happen first. So, you know, what, what we talked about last week is like density is no longer the, mainly the driving thing because so mm-hmm. many things, you know, whether you, whether it's, you know, think about parallel jobs, so transcoding videos or networking stuff or, you know, simulations, Monte Carlo simulations, financial simulations, all these things are basically, you can split them up into jobs and, and parallel run them. Right. So that's why we have CPUs with eight and 16 cores. Right. Right. So density is no longer like the driving thing. And then, you know, and then that's all like GPUs, right? So many of these things now, what's, uh, what's Apple saying? Metal. Is that what it is? Where there is a technology that you can send jobs basically right to the GPU. I think it's metal. Hmm. I always got it first. And now I think they, as a part of what's this new? I didn't know about what's this. What's the new OS ten called? Um, Eight, nine? No, no, OS ten. <laughs> oh, uh, darn it! It's the it's the mountain. It's not Yosemite. Oh, El Capitan. Yeah, El Capitan. Yeah. So you said it like such a white boy. Well, that's how El they said Capitan. it. I know. Well, that's how that <laughs> that's how Apple said it. I'm like, really? Am I gonna have to say El Capitan? <laughs> now I have to decide how I'm gonna say this. <laughs> You're supposed to be like that mm-hmm. annoying guy that, that pronounces everything in the restaurant authentically. I know. You can't, can't understand I'll what you're saying. Prosciutto? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So anyway, um, where's law? So no, you weren't, you weren't completely wrong, but I think we, it's, it's slowing down for sure. It just, you can only get things so small. Oh, is that how you spell British? <laughs> British, <laughs> so <laughs> I decided you halfway through. Of yourself. I decided halfway through. I didn't know how to spell it, so uh, I was looking it up online. I, I still don't know how to spell it. I want to get. Uh, I want to do my. Can I do my Microsoft thing now? Microsoft yeah. Salesforce. Go for it. This is just a funny clip I found um, listening to a uh, another podcast from non-biased observers. That Microsoft CRM is actually pretty good and actually a hell of a lot nicer than. Dare I say it? Salesforce CRM. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I have never heard a happy Salesforce user. I don't. Think. Oh, <laughs> no. Exactly. And here's the thing. Sorry, Mark, but here's the thing. You know, they keep trying to position themselves as this hot new young company. I mean, Salesforce.com is like what, 16 years old now? It's it's, you know, it's not. Yeah, it's, it's not, not hot. It's or not. Yet. It's it's not young, and you know, it has a lot of really creaky old code in there, um, which they try to dress up with all their mobile first messaging, but creaky old code that they try to dress up with their mobile first. I like how 16 is not hot and young anymore. They, yeah, they're, they do. I don't know. I'm just saying they try to act like a startup. I mean, relatively I speaking, you have companies like Microsoft and Oracle that are ancient IBM. Yeah. And Does I'm that not, mean they've stopped producing innovative things or they've stopped you know, they're just old and crickety and I don't know. moving along on wheelchairs. I, I don't know. I mean, do they try to present themselves, though, as like this, you know, startup? I, I feel like they, they, they do. kind of they, do. They definitely huh? still try to still have that kind of startup culture like, mentality, like, I think. Like, well, you've been around for 16 years. You have. But what's the alternative? You know, I mean, 15, wouldn't, wouldn't you employers? prefer the Salesforce mentality versus the old school where big business wears my shirt and tie, my suit and tie? I, I mean, I do you want to go to a Dreamforce Salesforce events? I was going to say, do you want to go to Dreamforce and see see a bunch of people being casual and enjoying and socializing, or do you want to see a bunch of suits, you know, handing out business cards? That's what Salesforce is. That's what Dreamforce what, is. No, I'm saying, what do you prefer? I don't know. Well, I, I guess I prefer people do whatever they feel is comfortable. But 
Well, that that means no business suit and business cards. That's for that's for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you haven't been. I, th- I think I you'll see a good mix. I think well, you'll see a good mix. You'll definitely I'm, see those representing the business suit. I've been to plenty of Salesforce events I, I, to know what the culture is. Dreamforce is different. Yeah, maybe. I'm mean, sure it is. Messaging, but, yes. you know, people, I have never heard of many, <laughs> of any happy Salesforce.com customers either. Whoops. Yeah. There goes another potential sponsor. <laughs> which gets into one of my other themes. Which is? She's. She's just basically admitting that she that you know they blew their chance for a sponsorship by speaking honestly about Salesforce. No, that's Come just on. a tongue in cheek joke. You think so? Yeah. Well, if I th- you think if Salesforce was a sponsor that this, they would have had that conversation? Yeah. No. Come on. <laughs> Which falls into not in the same episode. There's another clip I got from from your your best friend. What is great about anything? <laughs> Hold on a second. <laughs> What is great about anything that Comcast does? What is great about anything that Time Warner Cable does? They're both terrible. Hattie, is uh, Time Warner Cable or Comcast a sponsor? (laughs) No. No. There is nothing good that either of these companies do. Good old Dan Uh, Benjamin. Yeah. One of my faves. (laughs) Your man crush. My man crush. (laughs) I'd so bear hug him. But I I find it interesting, though, that so back to the... So that was Barb Darrow, who's one of my favorite enterprise technology writers. She's now at Fortune. And um, the other guy's name is Derek Harris. So you, they both used to be at GigaOM. Derek is now, he did that whole revolving door thing, and he's now at Mesos, Mesosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, and they talk to lots of people in the industry, lots of customers and stuff, but that, that perception of Salesforce is out there. I mean, that's... It, it is a growing perception. And I, I, I have been on some calls where, you know, prospective customers have been like, you know, I really don't like Salesforce. I mean, we're going to use it. We're going to get it. We're going to, we need to make this work for us, but I don't like the UI or I don't like this about it. I don't like that about it. So, I mean, they're, they're facing an upward here battle here. I think they have the quick wins out of the way. They're getting into enterprise and they're going to have to show more value. They're going to have to stretch a little bit more. I do think that Salesforce has done a better job than pretty much anyone else of getting of growing into the size company they are and getting into the inter- into the enterprise market, large business, large enterprises, and and still the the problem is that they're there in the enterprises, but enterprise has since changed. They're starting to look at these these other tools that have you know slicker, newer features. They're starting to look at these other companies that are far more agile than Salesforce can be right now because they're younger startups. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, again, but to Barb's point, I mean, they're. You know, Salesforce probably has code that's 16 years old. I mean, yeah. just imagine the size of their code base. And also, you know, look at, again, what um, the amount of people that are the amount of Apex code that's out there, the amount of, you know, triggers and things that are out there. And again, and people that have r- written Visual Force or whatever that's kind of made probably more coupling than they should have against the way that Salesforce's UI currently works. Mm-hmm. I mean, all these things pose a huge resistance to change. And the bigger you are, the bigger the other code base is, the more customers they have. It's like, it's great that you have thousands of customers and you've, you've reached $6 billion in revenue, but that's, that's all pushing against your, your progress now. Yeah. You know, how do you continue mm-hmm. to innovate when people have this dependency on the way it works right now? Yeah, it's, it's, it's no different than... But than, I was going to say, I'm, I'm giving Salesforce a compliment here. I think they do a, about as good a job as I've seen anyone do in managing that. I mean, they're seem to be a hell of a lot more nimble than someone like an Oracle or even a Microsoft is. I could be wrong. It's just my, it's just a perception thing. I'm not, I'm not an Oracle or a Microsoft expert. I mean, I know more about Salesforce. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, if you talk about things like Apple and Microsoft historically, when you talk about things that are resistant to change, let's talk about OSs. I mean, Apple took the approach of we're going to this new thing. You know, you can, yes. you, 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 if you want to run your old stuff, here's a VM. Yep. Or go get a VM. Yeah. And Microsoft's like, oh, we'll just, you know, you can still run whatever you want year after year after year. And that thing got huge. It got ugly. It got bloated. The The API, if you were ever coding against the Windows API, got really difficult and oh, ugly. It's, it's you bad. had, I think I bought the book set one time and it was like three or four books. It was an encyclopedia for the, the Win32 API. Yeah, I remember those. Can you imagine? It's a fire hazard to yeah, have all those. It is. <laughs> <laughs> I think it broke my back moving that thing yeah. every so often. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, may, maybe the approach is the Apple approach. Maybe the approach is saying, hey, we're going to this new thing. You can stay on there if you want, but all the new features are going to be on this new thing. We'll help you get migrated, and let's let's keep moving forward. Let's innovate. Yeah. Well, let's, um, let's move on to my I- idea. So we have an idea of the week. I want to skip past this, the other thing. I'm just going to save, the, uh, save that for next week. Um, my idea of the week is... Let me open it up and let me properly introduce this segment. You can't do this with Salesforce. <laughs> okay. So my idea of the week, this is an oldie, but a goodie. This is, and it's not even to threshold yet, which is so disappointing. I love how you got all radio announcer on this. This is an oldie, but goodie. Did I? <laughs> <laughs> Trying to channel your, your best Casey yeah. Kasem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, this is from seven years ago. Wow. So it's, it's, this is my, this is my hot button enhanced this is it's called enhanced package slash namespace support it's basically just adding namespaces to apex there's a lot of great comments on here and some of favorite and and some salesforce all-stars i mean these are smart guys you know this guy jeremy cray cray bill i think he's an mvp several mvps in here um yes for people who haven't used java or.net i would call this idea allow apex classes and pages to be put into folders um Right now, I just like, and someone else says, right now, I just like a good way to separate my unit test class from my from my production Apex classes, other than just a naming convention. That's another great thing. Um, people talk about how anytime, like uh, anytime in the Salesforce UI, where you have to like pick an Apex class from from a list or mm-hmm. a Visual Force page. I mean, in a big org, you can talk about thousands in a in a list here. I mean, it's, yeah. um, but and if you're not if you're not purposely saying this is a test class, you'll select the wrong thing. Yeah, Chris Peterson, um, he uh, works at Financial Force. This is five years ago. So he says, for ISVs with multiple packages, this would be huge. A hierarchical namespace would let us put each module of our application into a separate package in the name, same namespace. Um, doing it today requires a ton of dynamic Apex, dynamic SQL, and declaring just about everything as global, which is terrible because that creates all the coupling, right? Yeah. You have to have these globals, and everything is coupled, and you un, uh, just inevitably have spaghetti code. Yeah, or really big class files as you attempt to namespace them by you know subclassing everything. Right, but that still doesn't prevent anyone from forming dependencies. You still have to have all these globals. Um, Yeah. So that's my idea. What do you think of that idea, John? I think it's a good one, and I'm I'm not surprised at all that you would pick that one out of the crowd. Let's see. Um, I'm gonna call you Mister Namespace. Let's let's properly close. We should try to track down someone at Dreamforce who can talk to you about namespaces. I know. Right. Let's close the segment. I have no idea. He has no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Gotta love some Kramer. Yeah. All right, it's time. 
What are we doing now? It's time for a finale, our big finale. Uh-oh. That's, you sound like you're creating high expectations for us. I am. Let's, let's temper those down a little bit. No. <laughs> I'm excited about the quiz. Oh, are we doing a quiz now? This is our quiz. Okay. Now, these questions came to us by way of Shell Black, who- Again. Who heard about right. our Cash Cab episode and said, you know what? That was a little too developer-centric. Too, too easy. Yeah. We, we need this to be admin. So, so I'm, actually, I'm, yet again, I'm the one in the hot seat here, right? You are. Okay. You are. Uh, so I came up with a, a title for this. Hey, Shell, send me some, some good ones for John, okay? <laughs> we need to get John in the hot seat. No, I'm Because I have a feeling I'm not going to do as well this time if these are more admin related. Oh, maybe. So this is Who Wants to Be a Salesforce Admin? Playing off of the... Uh... All right, so same rules as last time. Zero to three, Jeremy pays $5. Four to five correct, I pay $5. If all six correct, I pay $10. And there's a twist on this one. For every bonus question, there's two bonus questions. I will pay a dollar if Jeremy gets them right. Into the swear jar. All right. All right. You ready for your first question? Yep. What is the maximum number of roles or territories you can have? Wait, which one? Roles or territories? Both. They share the same limit. Roles? Oh, it's got to be a ton because like, enabling communities creates a ton of them. I'm going to say a thousand. Wrong. It's 500. At least, I, at least I was on the right order of magnitude, though. Yeah. What is the maximum number of daily recurring tasks? Like that a person can have? Oh, wow. Recurring tasks. I mean, how, one, how many should a person have, realistically? <laughs> That's a different question, I guess. I have no idea. Oh, wait a minute. Toss he a number. Has no idea. Toss a number out. <laughs> just, just guess. Oh, 100. 100. You're right. Oh, wow. Are you serious? <laughs> Last time I made it easy with multiple choice. This time we're it's going for question, just bro. the questions. <laughs> All right. Next question. What is the total character limit for a pick, for a pickless or multi-select pickless? Character limit. Not number of entries, character limit. For, for a single entry or for the whole thing? For the whole thing. Like, so you take all your entries, add them yeah. all up, how many characters? When you're configuring it, you have a certain amount of characters you can use up. So the, the number of items you can have in Piglet, that's a thousand, right? We, right. This is character limit. Oh my gosh. You want me to give you multiple choice um, on that one? I'm going to say a million. Nope, 15,000. So, so if you have a thousand entries, that's fifty. You only have fifteen per entry, huh? Well, wow. it's two limits. You have to. If you can have a thousand entries as long as they fit the fifteen thousand character limit. Okay. Two wrong, one right. Yeah. All right. What is the maximum number of entries in a pick list? Well, that's a thousand. That's a thousand. So yeah. you got that one right. You actually answered that one before <laughs> yeah. I asked it. What is the maximum roll-up summary fields available when you are established? When you established a master detail relationship, sorry, Shell wrote that question. Yeah. I had a hard time reading it. That would be ten. Oh, you're right. I knew that one because I had. By the way, a little uh, inside knowledge here. If you need to get that increased, ask Salesforce. Yeah, a lot of these you actually can ask, and Salesforce did provide sub questions to that effect. Ask and you shall receive. <laughs> All right, last question. Well, no, last question before the bonus round. What is the maximum number of emails you can send? with mass email for enterprise edition. Okay, see, I think this is a trick question. Number of emails you send or number of unique email addresses that could be sent to in a day? The latter. So number of email addresses you can send in a day using mass email. 
I believe it's a thousand. For Enterprise Edition, you are wrong. I'm wrong. Ugh, mm. What is it? 500. 500? 500 for Enterprise Edition. That's the only one I actually looked up because I I uh, was curious about whether it was the number of emails or number of email addresses because I thought that was the case. So it's a th- it's 500 email addresses? Yeah. Yeah. I could have sworn I saw a thousand. Can we do a real-time uh, fact check? Uh, sure. Let's see. Again, if, if we're wrong, this was Shell's fault. Yeah, yeah no. exactly. <laughs> he, that means he has to put a dollar in the jar. That does. If, if Shell, you gave us the wrong answer to one of your questions. No, you're right. Enterprise is... Wait a minute. Using the... Okay. Using the API or APEC, you can send single emails to a maximum of 100,000 external email addresses per day. And you just ruined one of the bonus questions, I what believe. What was it? Because one of the bonus questions, and I'll ask it now, is... How much is that limit for unlimited edition? A thousand. A thousand. Yeah. So you don't get that one. Yeah. That doesn't, doesn't count, I guess. All right. Your last, your bonus question, the yeah. only bonus question. And if you get this right, I'll do $2 to make it fair. All right. What is the maximum number of recurring tasks yearly that you can have? What? What does so that you even can, mean? You can have recurring tasks that are daily. You can have recurring tasks that are monthly. You can have recurring tasks that are weekly. And you can have recurring tasks that are yearly. Each one of those has their own limit. What was the previous? What was the limit on the daily one? A hundred. So for a person, um, a thousand. Wrong. It's oh. ten. You ten. Went the wrong oh my way. gosh! You can only have ten things you can do in a year. Mm-hmm. You can only do ten things a year. And that is oh that is gosh. the end. Let's all right. Let's tally it up. You have one, two, three, four wrong. One. Two, three right. So three and three. So what does that mean? That means you pay. I pay. Oh. Five dollars. And you uh, didn't get any bonus right, so yeah. I'm scot free on this one. Uh. <laughs> I don't think anyone's gonna I should be doing my best Leonard Bernstein. I forgot when that ended. You did? <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think anyone's going to hire you to be a Salesforce admin anytime soon. I need to start pulling this one on you when you ask me a question. That's a clown question, bro. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was oh, fun. Man. That was the admin edition. I, I like that segment. I'm still I, hoping. I think it's the music. I'm not sure. I'm still hoping for a cash cab. What do you mean? Oh, at it's Dreamforce. Yeah, an that's actual start, cash yeah, cab. Yeah, an actual cash yeah, cab. That'd be cool. I was thinking about how that might work. Maybe, maybe someone walks around or they're in a cab and there's an official cab driver or something. You, I think you had said someone who like the bike guys could do it. Yeah, you have someone sitting in there that has little ask you questions. No, no, make it happen. Make it. Somebody happen. do it. And to that, I say, good day, sir. Good day, sir. I have never heard of many of any happy Salesforce.com customers. Microsoft CRM is actually pretty good. They're both terrible. There goes another potential sponsor. Jeremy was right. He has no idea.